the work of creation. The creation is both a monument of God's power and a looking glass in which we may see His wisdom. None but a wise God could so curiously contrive the world. Behold the earth decked with a variety of flowers, which are both for beauty and fragrance. Behold the heaven bespangled with lights. We may see the glorious wisdom of God blazing in the sun, twinkling in the stars. His wisdom is seen in marshalling and ordering everything in its proper place and sphere. If the sun had been set lower, it would have burnt us. If higher, it would not have warmed us with its beams. God's wisdom is seen in appointing the seasons of the year. Thou hast made summer and winter, Psalm seventy-four seventeen. If it had been all summer, the heat would have scorched us. If all winter, the cold would have killed us. The wisdom of God is seen in the checkering, checkering the dark and the light. If it had been all night, there would have been no labor. If all day, there would have been no rest. Wisdom is seen in mixing the elements as the earth with the sea. If it had been all sea, we had wanted bread. If it had been all earth, we had wanted water. The wisdom of God is seen in preparing and ripening the fruits of the earth, in the wind and the frost that prepare the fruits, and in the sun and rain that ripen the fruits. God's wisdom is seen in setting bounds to the sea, and so wisely contriving it that though the sea be higher than many parts of the earth, yet it should not overflow the earth, so that we may cry out with the psalmist, O Lord, how manifold are thy works, in wisdom hast thou made them all. Psalm 104:44. There is nothing to be seen but miracles of wisdom in God's creation. That's from Thomas Watson, A Body of Divinity, published in 1692. An accurate statement with regard to God and His creation. I've been given the formidable task to speak through the first chapter and through the first three verses of the second chapter of Genesis. It is necessary to cover such a large section of Scripture in this manner just because of the narrative, the narrative style in Genesis. We don't want to leave hanging on certain parts of the verses that are here for next week when we can accurately and hopefully definitively cover them here. One thing that comes to mind when thinking about Genesis and thinking about the world in which we live in is that there is nothing new in this world, including false beliefs. Many people think that the quote-unquote theory of evolution originated with Darwin. Well, it certainly did not. It goes well back to at least the Epicureans in 300 or so BC, and even before that, where they believed that all was created by accident by small particles that we would call atoms in creation. So nothing is new under the sun when it comes to false belief. Certainly what we find in the Genesis story is an absolute definitive narrative with regard to true belief, setting right those things that people had thought wrong about the creation. We know, as I spoke last week, that Genesis was the words of God as recorded by Moses, recorded in a time after the Exodus, but before the entry to the Promised Land for the Israelites. 
It was important when it was recorded for what it spoke about. These Israelites were exposed to all sorts of pagan idolatry. And one thing that you find is a common denominator in pagan idolatry is the worship of creation. In fact, the gods that, are, that they worship are created, are parts of creation, or are related to the sun, or the moon, or various animals, or various plants. That's why when we get here into the first part of Genesis alone, we find very definitive words about who God truly is. The first words in Hebrew, Bereshit, bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. Bara is the Hebrew word for creation that only is used with regard to God. It is never used with regard to anyone or anything else. It is only used talking about the Lord our Father. He created the heavens and the earth, and it says in verse 2, the earth was formless and void. Those funny Hebrew words, tohu va bahu, is what it is, formless and void. It is almost difficult to get behind exactly what that means. A wasteland, unprepared, unready. But don't miss this. The first act of creation is said in the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. And when He created that, what we see in the second verse is that at that moment, right after creation, creation was not done. His miraculous work was not to be completed just yet. It says that the earth was unprepared. That it was void of anything. It was, And when we think about that term unprepared, it wasn't ready for something. What we will see is an ever-ascending ladder or mountain, whatever you should call it, to the pinnacle of His creative talents. To what He is going to do. All telling about the work of the triune God and telling us who God is. You probably have the, the, what I thought was going to be the title in your bulletin, but I changed the title to Who is God at the last moment. It just sounded more fitting for what we are going to talk about here. Uh, it probably has the title in your, in your, in your bulletin about God's wisdom, which is also 100% true, which is what this talks about. But to keep any idea who is God and who, who is this God that is being demonstrated here? What is the God that we are seeing? That ex nihilo creation, out of nothing. God didn't pick up parts of things and put them together like a giant Lego set. He spoke and it was. When He created the heavens and earth, there wasn't, they weren't there before. They weren't moved from one section to another section of the universe. There was no universe. There was only the triune God. When He creates, it is something that never existed before has suddenly come into existence. Out of nothing, everything was created by God. And I'll put this out here right now so we're clear about where I'm coming from. A normal six-day creation. Not hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years. A normal six-day creation. And I am unabashedly 
a young earther. And I would challenge anybody on that too, to prove to me the millions and millions of years theories. It just does not hold water. The nice thing is, is that I believe in the one who created one. So therefore, we can go from there. Out of nothing, everything was created. It demonstrates his character. It tells us about who God is. It tells us about his creative power. It tells us about his authority. It tells us about his providence. It tells us about his sovereignty over everything. Not a single rogue atom in the universe, as R.C. Sproul would say, everything under the purview and creation of God. In that verse 2, that earth was a formless void, an unprepared location. It says there that there was, it was the, the, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. It was unready for anything. There was nothing to be there at that point in time. We cannot quite comprehend what that looks like, but it tells us exactly what we need to know. It tells us at this point in time, it wasn't ready for the next step of God's creative work yet. Remember, we, we have a God that is very orderly in the manner in which He does things. We see that demonstrated throughout the Scripture. We see it demonstrated when He gives the Levitical rules to the Israelites. We see it in God's demands for worship. And remember, just because you call it worship doesn't mean it's right. Only biblical worship is correct. What God demands. But this, right here, this formless and void, this formless earthly void, this dark water that is unprepared is the stage, is the setting stage for God's next works of creation. It is that location of His greatest creative work that will occur. It is now He has taken from the heavens and the earth and notice how it is going to be almost solely focused on the things on the earth or more importantly, the things that will affect the earth. He takes us from the great distances of the universe, and now we are focused on what we would see is that one small planet. Who is God? It is unique when we think about this, about this earthly planet right now, this formless void that we have, the dark waters that are there, that it will become our home here shortly. That His creative focus will be on this planet for His image bearers. For a moment, just turn to Psalm 115.16. 115.16. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. It 
It is no surprise then, as we start here in the beginning, that we work towards that pinnacle of God's creation, which will be man. Man doesn't happen right away, but happens in a certain order that we have there. The author, Moses here, is quick to tell us, as given by the Lord himself, that at this point in time, the earth is not ready for anything. That the earth is not prepared for anything at this point in time. That in the creative work, it is he is not done yet. It does tell us something about God, too. Something that we keep in mind, that he is the only one who can change the formless to something form. Somebody that could take the unprepared and make it prepared. He could take something that's unusable and make it usable. He could take something that's dead and bring it to life. The land was unprepared, the waters were dark and deep, and gloom was there, but the Spirit was hovering. The triune God was working. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all working in the creative act of Godhead. The Spirit drifting over the formless and unprepared water, the earth. Like soil that was not ready for seed, there was much work that needed to be done. And only one that could do such a great act. I find it interesting that many commentaries that you would read about miracles in the Bible, very few talk about creation as being a miracle. But it certainly is. Out of nothing came everything. The three distinct persons of the Godhead are here. One God with three persons. Romans 11.36 tells us this about God our Father. It says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And let's not forget, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Or, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Or, Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Hebrews 1-2 In these last days He has spoken to us, through his, to, his, to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Of course, you can also go to Colossians 1 and find that out too. Or John 1, verses 2-3 He... Christ, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You see, these creative acts are part of the triune nature of God. All part of the creative process that, that is bringing life to this void that it is right at the moment. This creative power of the Lord God for His purposes. And it was dark, dark, dark. And then God said, let there be light. 
The God who speaks. The God who talks. His voice bringing light to the darkness that was there. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. This light that God has brought out, we certainly can miss certain parts about this when we think about this light. Hard to imagine a time when there wasn't light. Even in the darkest of nights, we see light from somewhere. Yet at this moment, God spoke it and it was. He didn't take it from somewhere else and put it here. He spoke and it existed. He spoke and the, those, that word went out through all that there was and light existed and shone upon everything. Casting away the darkness and the gloom of the formless void that existed at that moment. Demonstrating something about the God who is the God of light. Demonstrating something about His character and His nature here. Establishing a pattern of night and day here. God the giver of light. God the illuminator of all things that are dark. God, the one through nothing can be hidden from. The creator of light. And then God said in verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it be separate and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. I'm going to continue just for sake of brevity for the next two verses, and then we'll talk about them. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so God called the dry land earth in the gathering of the waters He called seas. God saw that it was good. The only God, the triune God, Yahweh spoke and those words which echoed through the universe, which created the light, which created the heavens and the earth, the unstoppable words, the words with pure and adulterated authority and power the voice that shakes the foundations of all that there is, is the one who spoke this all into existence. Isaiah 6.4 tells us, when Isaiah was in the throne room, the, the foundations of the thresholds of heaven itself trembled at the voice when it called out. The light illumined all things, chasing the darkness away and the gloom, the penetrating light of God, the dark and formless heaven and the earth, the first experience of light of the Lord, which would have been unimaginable. The shadows chased away. As Isaiah 60, 19 tells us, 
no longer in, in, I should say, in an image of what will be to come in the new heaven and the new earth. No longer will you have a sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. He takes these things and He separates them rightly. The dark and the light not meant to exist in the same place at the same time, but separated them, placing them in their proper locations. This doesn't happen by any laws of man, but happens by the decree of God. He has put the light in its proper place and the darkness in the same. As we come into the water references that are here, we should learn from this, this passage, that God is teaching mankind about things being in their proper places in proper locations. The land appeared hidden in the deep is now seen. The water separating out into the seas and it was good. God declares that it was good. The only one who can define for us what good is. shaped into its proper form by the Word of God. Which would indicate to ourselves also that the things that are not shaped by God are not by His hand, are not good. It was good in part here not only because God said it, but also because it was prepared now for the next steps. That He has brought out the earth, He has separated it out, and is now becoming more prepared for the next part of the creative process. Who is this God that does these things? We must all answer that question. There's a reason why this is the first chapter of the first book of the Scripture. It tells us who that God is and what that God does. Preparing in an ever-ascending order of creation is what He's doing. We're still at the lower rungs of that ladder. But we should already be awestruck by the scale that is occurring here. Remember how He is just focused on the earth itself. Notice about the things that are not dealt with in this passage. We could say, rightly, that the things that are dealt with are the most important things to be dealt with because they're God's Word and they tell us what's most important. Because this is in here, in the order in which it is, it is the most important thing we could be reading because it is God's Word to us about Him about His character. As was rightly divided today in the Sunday school class, about His glory. About who He is. And now that this land is prepared and the water is separated, we see in verse 11, 12, and 13 these words, Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. 
and it was so. God said, and it was so. God gave life, and life occurred. God's, I probably better say, God spoke life, and life happened. Twelve, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning a third day. The preparatory work keeps occurring. We have started with heaven and earth spoken to existence. We have spoken about the formless void of the, uh, of the earth in the dark gloom of the seas. We have spoken about light being produced and now illumining everything. We have talked about the separation of the land and the seas and now the earth is bringing forth vegetation. Verdant plains, green plains and fields given forth. The previously untilled soil now giving forth growth. The previously uninhabitable land now has life. The previously dead soil is now life-giving. We can't help but remember Jeremiah 36, where I just spoke about this uh, with somebody this morning, that God is the one who will take the heart of stone that is turned against the Lord, and He will turn it into a heart of flesh. He has taken the soil that could not give life and has now become life-giving. Prepared for inhabitants that will come. Prepared for the next step of the creative process. Verse 14, Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Many have become twisted up about this particular passage. How could God give light previously? And now all of a sudden we're, we have the moon and the sun being created. It comes from a misunderstanding of what is being said. Nothing hidden in the Scripture. They just don't like the way that God says it. They don't like that God is the light giver. Many people think that the light itself's origin is from the sun, but the light's origin is only from the sun because, why? God says it is to be that way. He there are two separate words used with regard to light here. In the previous passage, it had used the Hebrew word lahor, which is what it was, which was the light itself. And now he uses the term ma'or in the Hebrew, which means a luminary or a light source. Right? The light now has been separated for God's purposes, 
has given this over to the greater and to the lesser. From our perspective, we see the light giver as the sun itself. In God's great, magnificent work of creation, He has created a ball of, what is it, hydrogen, helium, and other things that are burning for almost seemingly an eternity. This burning ball that is out there that provides light as in the body of divinity said that is at the perfect distance to provide light and warmth on this earth. That He has taken that light and He has separated that out to the greater and the lesser. The moon itself not being a light giver but reflecting the light of the sun itself. You cannot help but see different things with regard to that. I will take it right to the Christian belief from that. As the moon reflects the rays of the sun, we too are to reflect the image and the likeness of Christ Himself. From the greater to the lesser. We should not miss that in these passages, the things that are being taught about God and His eternal decrees. The light source that was previously given as a whole by Yahweh, He has now separated into their proper places. The sun, whose rays are not only reflected on the earth in daytime, but on the moon at night. Yahweh in His great providence and His sovereignty has done this. They are there in the right places for the right purposes for which God has designed them. And as he said, it was good. Further preparation for what is to come. Further preparation for the work of creation. Verses 20 to 25. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves in which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. The land was prepared. The light was given. The light was separated out. The earth was bringing forth vegetation. A pattern of stewardship is being established by God. He is showing the way that things should be. The way things are rightly ordered in their places. All working towards that apex of creation. All ramping up His creative work from the lesser to the greater. He is showing that He is the only God. He is not creation, but He is the Creator. 
He is the one without end, the eternal God, the God that holds all things in His hands because He has created all things. The God that holds gravity in His hands that says it is to be so. We are not held on this earth by gravity. That's only a means of which, a formula which we can understand it. We are held on this planet because God says it is to be that way. Furthermore, what we have here is instantaneous creation. We have flocks of birds created in flight. Schools of fish created swimming. We have the animals created in the same manner of that. Instantaneously and instantaneously mature in what they are. The first of their kinds. Never like that beforehand, but instantaneously done. Not through eggs or embryos, but instantaneously created. We should not miss that in those passages. At once, if you could stand there at, the, at this point of creation, if you were given that sight to see, even from the heavenly perspective when we die, and to see how it occurred, at one moment you'd be looking up at the sun in the sky and there was nothing else, and then instantaneous flocks of birds flying. Things never having flown before, or fish never having swum. Animals, insects, reptiles, amphibians, all created instantaneously. At God's word. He spoke and it was. He has gone through the process of creation. Who is this God? Remember, we're always asking that question. Who is this God that does this? Well, He's telling you who this God is. He's telling you about His creative order. He's telling you the manner in which He has done things. And guess what? He doesn't need to explain to you why. You know why? Because He's God and you're not. You answer to Him whether you believe in Him or not. You answer to this God who is showing you how big creation is in that it was all done by His Word. Not with anyone else's help. Right? He is showing you how magnificent He is. How worthy of glory He is. How worthy of worship He is because of what He has done. And He is establishing patterns and orders to things the whole time. Notice how He just say it doesn't take much to sit in there. You know, verse 21, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature of the moon with which the waters swarmed after their kind. Fish remain fish. They don't become birds. Birds don't become giraffes. Giraffes don't become insects. There are countless, countless studies on fruit flies. Countless studies on fruit flies. One of the more famous ones ran for 30 years. They were studying what happens to fruit flies over tens of thousands of generations. I think it's 30 years of fruit flies and you can look it up, you can correct me if I'm wrong, 30 years of fruit flies equals 50,000 generations. More than there are generations of man. And guess what they found in 50,000 generations? You know what fruit flies are after 50,000 years of generations? They're still fruit flies. They didn't become fish, they didn't become people, they didn't become giraffes or zebras or tortoises or frogs. After 50,000 generations, they were still fruit flies. God says He has put 
things into their place and into their kind. That they remain their kind. That they stay in their kind. Are there variations within those kinds? Absolutely. And that's also a question for the fall and after the fall of man. But he says here, he said, I put them in their kind. Every winged bird after its kind. And he saw that it was good. All the cattle of a thousand hills into its kind. All the four-legged creatures after their kind. And he'll tell Adam when he brings the animals to him that none of these are like you. Your cat or your dog or your zebra is not a mate for you. Because they're not of the same kind. We can't miss that here. It is right here in the opening chapters and people question it at all times. Each after their own kind by design, and it was good. Now we have reached the pinnacle of the creation. God has laid out the order of creation, and now we come to the pinnacle. The pinnacle of God's creative power, of His creative word, is that of man. Verses 26-31. through 31. That God said, let us... Don't miss the triune God here. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 29, Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given you given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything in its place, in its proper time, in its proper design of creation, all pointing to this apex of creation, which is man, which is in his creative power, made in the image of the triune God, We have reached the top of the ladder to the mountain of creation that we've seen. We've climbed there through these short verses. All that we need to know about God's creative power. And from that vantage point, we are told here about that creation of man, of man and woman, fully formed when created. Not as a baby that's unable to feed itself, but fully formed in creation. Not in the physical image of God, because God Himself is spirit. Countless passages that talk to that. But created in the image of God to reflect God's character. To reflect that same character that is reflected here in the creation narrative. That character we are created as intelligent moral agents. 
Fish and horses are not intelligent moral agents. Dogs and birds don't have morals. Dog or bird can't murder. Man can't. We intrinsically know this, too. We have all heard someone say, you're acting like an animal. It's supposed to be an insult. I think nowadays, people think it's a, people think it's a compliment. Or, classic for some of you, close the door, we don't live in a barn. Right? We're not animals. We're not like animals. People would say, well, we share some of the same DNA. Awesome. That's great. Guess what? Everything we eat is carbon-based. It's almost like somebody created it so we could process it. So weird, right? Why are we surprised by this? God said, and yes, I'll get this out of the way too, right now, you know, at this point in time, everything was vegetarian. That's the way it was created. That's what he said. And I can guarantee you whatever they were eating then is better than what we eat now. You know why? Because God said it was good. He said it was the way it was supposed to be. He said this isn't the relationship it's supposed to be in. This is what it's supposed to look like in creation. This is the God who creates. And this is a demonstration of God's character when He does this. We all have been created with these hearts, with these minds. We have wills. We can not only understand what God's holiness is, maybe not in full, because remember Isaiah himself, when he glimpses it, he's, his immediate response is, he has been undone by it. But we can also, we have the ability to act in holiness, which was the calling of Adam and Eve in their relationship with God to be holy because He is holy. Right? We were given the task here at creation as we come to that mountaintop of his God's creative process as He's prepared the earth as our home. We are uniquely created to live here. We are so uniquely created to live here that He will be making a new heaven and a new earth for us to live on. We can't go into the ocean without taking our atmosphere with us. We can't go to the space without taking an atmosphere with us. We are uniquely created to live on this planet. And God has given us the stewardship of this planet as He has demonstrated stewardship-like qualities up until this point in time. He has given us the role of vice-regent, right? His representative. So it would be the vice regent would be the sovereign's representative given authority by the sovereign to act on his stead, right? In the image and likeness of God the Father. Ultimately, that those like the moon reflecting the sun, that when when they when when other creatures would look here at this point in time at Adam and Eve at their creation that they would see and recognize the image, image and character of God Himself in that creation. 
Of course, we'll speak in a few weeks about the tarnishment that comes because of that, or comes to that. But don't miss this. Created in his image to reflect his character, to reflect his nature, to reflect his holiness, to reflect his desires, and to be obedient to God. That is the manner in which we are created in. Given to reign over creation as a mirror image of God's rule over creation, not in totalitarianism, where we do whatever we want, but in correct relationship and correct reflection of that character, we act in truth and justice and righteousness, knowing that we are created and not the creator, right? That in that image that we are given, that when we are in fully right relationship that is happening here, that all of creation flourishes because of man's stewardship. We will see how that falls apart in Genesis chapter 3 when man fails at his duty, right? But at this point in time, because we are made in God's image, because the stewardship is given over, that all the creatures of the earth, all the plants of the earth, will flourish because of man's stewardship, because man is completely and fully reflecting a mirror image of God their Father at that point in time. They are in right relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, created in His image to be the vice-regents on this planet where we are given to live. Six days, no crazy gyrations to explain it, no caveats, six days of creation. Chapter 2, verse 1. The last three verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. The verses tell us that creation, the creative work is done. Right? He has created this earth, the universe, all the atoms, everything that is there. He has created them. He has established the pattern of what has been done. Even the heavenly hosts are done in creation. Everything is complete. And it says he rested, but not rested because he was tired. Because you made that mistake, Psalm 50, 21. You made the mistake, you thought I was like you. I'm not. God is not like you. He didn't rest because he was tired, but he rests because establishing a pattern for mankind. Remember, patterns are being established throughout this section of Scripture. The Sabbath rest is to occur as a weekly cycle for men. As I said in Mark 2, chapter 27, Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not the ruler, man is. It's a day created for rest. That Sabbath day would have been that day 
that in Exodus is set apart to keep holy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Later be abrogated with the new covenant we find in Colossians that there, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. But after the risen Christ, the Sabbath day is given over to Sunday. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Paul tells us, or excuse me, Luke tells us about Paul. This work here, it is good, and God blesses it. The creative work is done. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit acting as one in this creative act of creation. Who is God? Well, this tells us a lot about who that God is. We would hope that you don't hear just descriptions of God's actions, but you see His character reflected in this creation story this creation narrative. You see God's providence in creation. I've waited till now to give you a definition for providence. Certainly encompassed in providence is sovereignty, sovereignty over all things, that God can do whatever he wants, but we will say, we can give this definition. I've stolen it from John Piper because it's just a great definition of providence. It's his, it's God's purposeful sovereignty by which he will completely be successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. He will be completely successful in his ultimate goal for the universe. His ultimate goal for redemption. Man was not created by accident, nor was the fall a surprise. But by the sovereign act of the triune God. In his providence, he will have the ultimate redemptive purpose through His Son. The creative narrative tells us the purposeful and consistent design of creation that led to the creation of man, of God's vice regents, of His representatives here on earth. It tells us that everything that has been created has been created exactly as it was meant to be created. It tells us that there is no errant atom in the universe but instead that all fall under that providence of the sovereign God. A God who is a creator and capable of ex nihilo creation out of nothing. It also gives us the authority and power that God has for life. It also sets up the idea that will come through the Scripture about the life-giving God. Turn to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. God has demonstrated in the creative narrative that He takes non-life and brings life forth. 
We are dead in our trespasses and sins. He is the one who takes that hard soil that is formless and void and prepares it to receive the Holy Spirit. He is the one that takes our chaotic lives that are unprepared to believe and gives us new, new gives us the life-giving word. Like the seed planted on that ground which he prepared that brought forth fruit and vegetables. It is the same way with our rocky hearts. God is the only one that can prepare that soil, which I will propose to you is much harder than any earth that there was at the beginning of creation. He is the only one who can drive that plow into that hard heart that we have and make it suitable for residents of the Holy Spirit so that we would know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That, that, that our knowledge of our Lord and Savior would grow in us like that seed grows in the ground. That it would become like that tree in Psalm chapter 1 planted beside the waters. Like that tree whose roots that go so deep that it will always bring fruit in season and that its leaves will always be green, reflecting the character and nature of the triune God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, like the moon reflects the rays of the sun. That these roots are into that eternal fountain, that eternal well of water. That, that we bear that fruit and give that fruit of the gospel message to the lost sheep that are still on hillsides far away to be called in. We learn in these passages who God is. And we could say, as the psalmist does in Psalm 19.1, these words. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His day, of His hands. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this. Thank You that You have given us this, these words, Your words. Thank You that You have spoken through Your servant Moses, that they have been recorded, that the exact words that were necessary were recorded, that we can learn about Your character through this narrative story, that we can reflect on who You are, God. And we hope and pray that in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we who are saved by Jesus Christ can reflect His character to others around us. Who, that we have the courage, that You would give us the courage to preach forth the life-giving words of the Gospel, to point everyone to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Your name. Amen.